All right, we're carrying on with the Beatitudes series. Let me read them all out to you once again, just to give you a reminder of where we're at. So this is taken from the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Ooh, all my stuff's falling out. And so we are on to uh, week four. Week four. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let me just read to you uh, a couple of other translations so we can get a, a picture of what this verse is saying to us. The NIV says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The New Century Version, Those who do right more than anything else are happy, because God will fully satisfy them. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. God will satisfy them fully. You know, the great theologian Mick Jagger wrote all about his search for satisfaction. And while I'm not sure of the motivation behind that song, it reads a little bit like a commentary, doesn't it, on uh, society and the culture that we're living in, um, where the media is telling us where we can find happiness. The media is telling us where we can find satisfaction, but none of it is hitting the mark. I think that's the, the message behind that deep theological song that actually culture tells us we can find satisfaction we can find happiness in promiscuity in drink in in drugs in social media followings whatever it might be but you know I guarantee if you ask anyone who is searching for happiness for satisfaction in those areas that they've not yet found what it is they're looking for there's another song there as well isn't there (laughs) I love that Jesus uses a food metaphor here. I think there's so much in his teaching where he's talking about agriculture and sheep and shepherds and sowing and reaping. And I have to look up some of those, uh, those, those kind of metaphors to really grasp hold of the, the depth of meaning that he's putting in. But here, he uses food and drink. And I know what he's talking about when he's talking about food and drink. Who's with me? Have you ever found yourself where... You know that you want something. You know that you're kind of, you've got a craving for something and you're just not quite sure what it is that you're after. And you, you've opened the fridge door and you're looking at all of your options and you're like, none of this is quite going to, none of it's quite going to hit the mark. 
It reminded me when I was preparing this message, he's not here this morning, but Harvey, when we were at Excel two years ago. So every night, every Friday at Excel, after the uh, first meeting, we go out for a late night curry at Akbar's. It is beautiful. Men, sign up now so that you're ready to hit Akbar's. And so we're in this curry house. There's all of the choice available on the menu, everything that you would expect and more. And so you're looking around the table of guys and there's those who are, you know, playing it safe, tikka masala, and then you've got those who are a bit wimpy having their kormas, and those who are trying to show off or order a vindaloo, and all of this stuff's going on, and then Harvey thinks, well, maybe I'll just try something a little bit different, and he chose to order lamb chops. <laughs> lamb chops. And he was confident in his choice, he was happy with his choice, and then it arrived, and he's looking around the table, and there's, there's naan breads the size of your face, and there's curry, and, there's, oh, and he's looking at his plate with three lamb chops and a tiny little side salad, and just food envy creeps in. Have you ever had food envy before? And he is just feeling that. And he ate his lamb chops, but he was not satisfied. He was not satisfied. And I think that can be a picture of life for us. You know, we're, we're looking for something. We're on, the, we're on the hunt for something, but we're not quite sure what it is that we need, that, that thing that's going to satisfy us, that thing that's going to fill the gap within us. But God is saying, I've got it. I've got the meal that is going to satisfy you, that will mean that you never want to eat again. And so as we kick off this message this morning, we're just going to look at a biblical example of of this search for satisfaction. You'll have to bear with me. My throat is just killing me this morning. So we're going to look at the life of Solomon. He was the son of King David, the king of Israel, as we pick up the story. He's the richest man to ever have lived in biblical times. On the face of it, this guy had everything that he could possibly want. The queen of Sheba came and admired and marveled at his wealth. He had it going on. But then he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And I don't know if you've ever tried to read the book of Ecclesiastes, but it is probably the most depressing book in the Bible. So make sure that you're balancing it up with some Psalms or something, I don't know. But he wrote this book. It's basically a 12-chapter journey of a guy who literally tried everything on the Akbar menu, but didn't find anything that satisfied the craving within him. He started with education. He thought maybe knowledge, maybe study, maybe getting a degree will fill that thing that I'm looking for. In Ecclesiastes 1 verse 18, he says, For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. So why bother going to school, kids? (laughs) The more knowledge, the more grief, it says. And so then he thinks, well, maybe I'll try my career. I'll get a good job. I'll use that money to buy a nice car, to go on nice holidays, to to get all of this good stuff. Ecclesiastes 2, 10 to 11, he says, I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. He was one of those people where when it comes around to his birthday, you have no idea what to get him because if he wants it, he'll just buy it. I I denied myself nothing. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. He really enjoyed and threw himself into his work. And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and all that I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. It was like a meal that didn't satisfy. 
It was a chasing after the wind, he describes it as. Nothing was gained under the sun. So that wasn't hitting the mark either. So he thought, well, how about I just concentrate on accumulating wealth, on money, on finances? And he, he goes on and he says in chapter 5, whoever loves money never has enough. You know, I think sometimes those of us who perhaps are lacking in the, in the financial realm, we think, well, maybe if I just had a little bit more, maybe if I just had enough for this, then I'll find happiness. But then you get to that point and then you're like, well, I just need a bit more because I've got all that, but maybe I could just have. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. All of the other stuff, this as well, it's all meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? So wealth isn't hitting the mark either. So what about people? Popularity. He was the king of Israel. He was surrounded by servants and all kinds of people. And he had a lot of money. So no doubt that attracted people to him as well. So he was gathering people. But in chapter 4 it says, There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. People weren't hitting the mark either. And then he moves on to wine and women and music. It's like the sex, drugs, rock and roll of the era to see if that can satisfy. The Bible tells us that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines as if one wasn't enough. <laughs> Don't tell Ruth. And then Solomon ends after, after he spent 11 chapters telling us about all of this stuff that he has gone through to search for happiness, to, to try to find satisfaction and that none of them filled it up. He, he describes it all as worthless, like chasing the wind. None of it was satisfying that gap, that hole within him. And then in chapter 12, he says, the last and final word is this, fear God. The last and final word is this, fear God. And let's just hit pause for a minute there on that verse because this concept, this idea of fearing God, it's not being afraid of God because my Bible tells me that his wrath was satisfied by the work of the cross. So we don't need to be afraid of God. This idea of fearing God, it means to revere him to worship him, to love him. It's about getting as close to God as you possibly can. And then when you're there, Solomon says, do what he tells you. And that's it. I love that. It's just as simple as that. Fear God. Do what he tells you. Simples. Eventually, God will bring everything that we do out into the open and he will judge it according to its hidden intent, whether it is good or evil. That's what's going to happen. And so if you're feeling like Mick Jagger and you can't find your satisfaction, what Solomon is saying, he's saying, fear God, worship God, get as close to God as you possibly can, and then live the life that he intended for you. Because he has purposed you. He has placed you here right now for such a time as this. 
And so we need to get close to him to hear what it is that he is telling us, who it is that he's saying that we are, because the world might say you're one thing, but our identity is found in Christ. And so when we get close to him, we can get that revelation of not only who he is, but who we can be in him. And then do what he tells you. Walk it out. Flow in his plans and in his purposes. Solomon chased all kinds of things. And we can chase after all kinds of things, can't we? Trying to find that that feeling of wholeness. Trying to find satisfaction. But Jesus says, here it is. This is that thing that you're looking for, that you're so desperately searching for. So stop chasing after all of that stuff. Stop looking in all of the wrong places. Instead, hunger and thirst for righteousness. In Proverbs 21 verse 21, it says, Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, finds prosperity, and finds honor. I want some of that. And how do you do it? Pursue righteousness. This is the good stuff. This is what God's got for us. This is his best for us. The only thing that can satisfy. And so why do we find ourselves, even those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, why do we find ourselves sometimes chasing after other things? trying to find that feeling in other places. What is it that, that drives us to do that? I think that we fill up on the wrong things. I think that's sometimes what we can be guilty of. We fill up on the wrong things. We went to Gary and Michelle's a couple of weeks ago for a Chinese takeaway. I love Chinese food. But we went on a Friday, and Friday in our house is Pizza Friday. And so we have pizza every Friday without fail, unless we're going out. And so we were going out, but the boys were staying at home. So they had pizza Friday on their own. We were due at their house for like half seven or something. The kids eat early, half five, six. And so we've cooked up their pizza. It smells delicious. And so I'm like, well, I'll just have a slice. <laughs> That'd be all right, won't it? We've got like two hours before we're going to be sitting down. for. Di- so I'll just have a slice. And Ruth's like, we're going out for dinner. What are you doing? Oh, it's fine. I'll just have one slice. Well, one slice turned into two slices. And so we're at Gary and Rochelle's and there's crispy duck and pancakes. Hello. Going to get an amen. Sweet and sour. Chow- all of that good stuff was there. And, you know, I, I filled my plate up and I had, a- I had a good meal. But then as Gary's tucking into his third plate of the, d- the evening, I'm just... I didn't have the room for any more because I'd filled up on the wrong stuff beforehand. It's Mother's Day next, next Sunday. That is some mother wisdom right there, isn't it? Don't eat that. You'll spoil your dinner. I ignored her anyway. But why are we filling up on stuff that doesn't satisfy? Why is it that we find ourselves going after stuff and filling ourselves up with all of this stuff that Solomon describes as worthless as chasing the wind what is it that we're consuming maybe we just need to take a minute right now and and just do that inward work do that inward business and just say what is it what is it that I'm filling my life with that is not what God has for me what is it that I'm I'm trying what does our Ecclesiastes list look like where we're trying to find something and it's not hitting the mark 
But you know, this stuff that we, that we sometimes chase after, I mean, it looks good, doesn't it? It tastes good. I mean, just think back to the Garden of Eden and, and Adam and Eve were there and, and they, God had created this beautiful place and it was filled with in, incredible things. And he said, you can have any of it. You can have all of it and it is good. But you can't have the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is it. Everything else you can have and it is good food. You can have it all. Just not that one thing. But for Eve and Adam, that one thing was like that slice of pizza. Wow, just one bite. What harm will that do? Just one slice. It'll, it'll be fine. Except it wasn't fine, was it? Because God had said, you can have anything except for that thing. But, but that thing looked so good. It says she looked at it and it looked pleasing. It looked good to eat. It looked juicy. They could almost smell the fragrance of this, this brand new fruit because it was, everything was new in the Garden of Eden. And, and they'd sampled it all, but not this. Well, I just want to try that one thing. It looks so good. And we just need to think of the, the pleasures that the world has got to offer. Drink and drugs and pornography and one-night stands and gambling and all of this stuff. And on the surface... A lot of it looks really good. It's kind of fun. Except it's not. Because these are the things that God says, no, don't do that. You can have all of this good stuff, but not that. And they might be exciting and they might bring pleasure and they might give us that high and they might give us that feeling that's just so good and so exciting and it gets the adrenaline pumping within us. Except that feeling doesn't last, does it? Because all of those things sit under the, the law of the world, which is what goes up, must come crashing down. And so we, we just take a taste of these things that they look so good and they look so appetizing and oh, it'll just make me feel really good right now and that's what I want. And yet a day later or an hour later or even a second later and it's no longer fun anymore. It's no longer good anymore. And we're like, why did I bother eating that slice of pizza when the Chinese was laid out for me. Because that's the good stuff. Sin may taste good, but instant gratification is a poor man's substitute for lasting satisfaction. In Isaiah chapter 55, it says, All who are thirsty, come and drink. Those of you who do not have money, Come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on something that is not real food? Why work for something that doesn't really satisfy you? Listen closely to me and you will eat what is good. Your soul will enjoy the rich food that satisfies. So why is it that we sometimes find ourselves searching in the wrong places, that we find ourselves just having a little bite, just having a little taste, just sampling these, these things. Why would we look at something that we know isn't good for us, 
that we're being told isn't good for us, and yet we still go for it? Or why is it that we look at something that that we know is actually going to be life-changing and transforming and absolutely perfect for us, and yet we say, nah, I'm all right. I think I'll leave that. I'm just going to try a bit of this. Why do we do that? Maybe it's because we've never experienced the goodness of God. We've been singing this morning about the goodness of God. Maybe it's because we've forgotten how good he is. We've forgotten how good he is. You know, I talked in our vision uh, back in February about how we as a church cannot devote your lives for you. You know, we've got this theme of they devoted themselves as our year kind of theme, our overarching vision for the year. But we cannot devote your lives. I cannot devote you to God. You've got to do that for yourself. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And so we're suggesting some things. We're, we're providing some meals, if you like, for you. There are life groups. I mean, Michelle so eloquently encouraged us as to the benefit of life groups. And so we're saying, why don't you connect into a life group? And so maybe we're just thinking, oh, but they're a bit weird, aren't they? And it's, it's a little bit uncomfortable when you're sat in a room with people you don't really know that well. And what if they ask me to say something and I don't know the answer? Or what if I, I'm told to pray and I, I just go, Ugh. let me encourage you. They're not like that. We're nice people. If you don't want to say something, just sit there. That's all good. You get a free cup of tea, maybe a biscuit, depending on where you go. It's all good. And we're encouraging you to connect into uh, the Hope Cafe and the Evening Cafe. But maybe we're just like, ah, but when I get home on a Friday night, I just want to get in my PJs and put Netflix on and relax because that is how I do things. Why would I go and sit in church again and hang out with people, you know, when I can just sit at home in my PJs with the heating on and Netflix on and just switch off? I'd rather just stick in my bubble of people rather than spread my net a little bit and speak. Come on. This is living water. God called us for connection to each other. God says, you cannot do it alone. And so if we don't connect into this stuff, if we don't buy into this stuff, then we are missing out. I heard one pastor say, go all in for church. Just go all in. Where there's a prayer meeting, come and pray. Where there's a life group, join the life group. Where there's a bonus worship service, come along and worship. Where there's an opportunity to serve, serve. Just do it. All in, 100% for one year. And if you get to the end of that year and you are not enjoying life, I will leave with you. I'll say that. I agree with that. Give it a go. Come to me in a year's time and say that you are not transformed. Say that you have not seen the benefit. I'll quit with you. We'll shut down the church. It's all good. I'm not precious about it. If we're not doing it right, why are we doing it at all? God has called us for community. Here's the water. Take a drink. Psalm 34 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that he's good. Connect into this stuff. Get involved in this stuff. Throw yourself all in to this stuff and you will find that it tastes good. You've got to be in it to win it, as they say. You don't know what you're missing. It's, it's so worth it. And some of us, and, and this is so sad but so true, that actually we reject the things of God. When we're talking about why is it that we, we look at this thing that we know is so good for us, that it's going to change and transform our lives, and yet we choose to pursue other things. I think for some of us, and this is so sad, is that we reject the things of God because of how someone has served it up for us. And that actually someone has hurt us. And, and here's the truth, that our perfect God chooses to use imperfect people to do his will. And sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we make mistakes. And so if you've been mistreated by someone, or if, if the church has hurt you in some way, or if you've had a bad experience with someone who follows Jesus, don't blame God. Don't blame God. The amount of people that say, I'm leaving your church because of what someone said to me. Well, that someone isn't God. That someone is an imperfect person who made a mistake. And yet you're leaving because of them. Has God told you to leave? Has God called you somewhere else? Because if not, I firmly believe you stay where you are until you're told otherwise. Because God has placed you here. And God has positioned you here for a purpose. And so unless he's telling you otherwise, stay where you are. Not because of an imperfect person making a mistake. We cannot reject the goodness of God because of an imperfect person slipping up. Don't miss out on God's goodness because of the failing of imperfect people. Do you know, if you go into the world today and you ask Joe Bloggs on the street to, to give you their idea of God, what do you think God is like? Or you say, what do you think church is like? Just tell me, uh, you know, without, you know, someone who hasn't been to church since they were a tot or maybe never been into church. Just tell me what you think church is like. I think that if you hear their answers, oftentimes they will not match up to what you know to be true. They will describe a God who is nothing like the God that we've been worshipping this morning. They will describe the context of a church service that lines up nothing with the truth of how we do church or the way in which God has called us to worship together. And the truth is that actually, if what they said were true, well, I wouldn't want any of that either. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays this. He says that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And that is our prayer. That is our hope as a leadership team that you would grasp. That you would know how high, how deep, how wide, 
how long, how high the love of God is for you. It is vast. You will never truly understand this side of glory, how much he loves you. But we need to press in. We need to lean in to try and understand a little bit more of that truth. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? When we know that the truth of the gospel will transform lives. That we know that if, if our friends and our family members who don't yet follow Jesus would just accept this truth, would just take a bite of this meal, their lives would be transformed forever. Just take a bite. And yet they look at it. And then they look at all this stuff and they're like, nah, nah I'm good. I'm going to go over here for a bit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We've got to pursue righteousness. That's what we're, we're talking about. We've got to pursue righteousness. So what is righteousness? It's two things. Firstly, it's right standing with God. Right standing with God. It's, it's a right relationship with him. In Romans chapter 1, it says, This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. That's what the gospel does. Romans chapter 3. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood and sacrificed his life for us. Jesus paid for my sins. Jesus paid for your sins. So the question is, do you want to be made right with him? Well, then you just need to take a bite. In Romans 5, it says, And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ Jesus, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship, and that's a clue there of the, the how, since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. How do we get it? It's through relationship. It's through friendship with God that we find righteousness. He's not looking for religion. He's looking for relationship. We're made right with God by coming into relationship with him. And so righteousness is, is right standing with God. And secondly, it's right living on earth. Right living on earth. Do you know there's this phrase that's kind of doing the rounds at the minute? My truth. I'm living my truth. And I'm kind of like, well, okay, you go and live your truth and see how that works out for you. But that's not the way we should be because the truth is that as for me, well, I'm going to live the truth. You may be claiming my truth is, is how I'm going to go, but the truth is the only way to, to experience righteousness. And living my truth was, it was kind of like Solomon trying out all of those things. That was him essentially living out his truth in, in that moment. He was, he was just going to go and do his thing because it felt good, it, it looked good, so it must be good. That's the story of the prodigal son. I'm just doing... My truth. And my truth is, give me all the money. Let me go and dwindle it away on sex, drugs, and rock and roll and all that stuff. But hopefully, and this is the point, that at some point, we'll come to our senses. 
Hopefully at some point, even if it takes us to the very end of the bottle or the very dirt, hopefully at some point we'll come to our senses and we'll recognize the truth that actually my truth is worthless. God's truth brings life. Proverbs 13 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. It looks good. It smells good. I think it probably tastes really good. But it leads to death. And so what do we do? We find right living on earth by pursuing the lifestyle that God intends for us. Proverbs 12 says, In the way of righteousness, there is life. And along that path is immortality. If we pursue righteousness, if we chase after righteousness, if we try to line ourselves up in right standing with God and right living here on earth, then, then we'll be satisfied. Then we will be filled up to the brim and overflowing with the goodness of God. Then and only then will we find satisfaction. Jesus said, didn't he, to the Samaritan woman at the well, he said, if only you knew, if only you knew the goodness of God, then you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. And he said to his disciples just a few chapters later, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not go hungry. Let's stop dabbling in other things. Let's stop tasting other things that might look good, might smell good, might even taste good for a minute and go after, chase after, run after righteousness. The only place that we will find that satisfaction because Jesus and only Jesus is the food that satisfies the hunger in our souls. So let's pursue righteousness. Let's pursue right living with God and right living here on earth. And then, then we'll be satisfied. Amen? Amen. So God, we just thank you for this gift that you present to us. This meal that you have served up for us. And God, I pray that we would not get distracted by the things of this world that try to pull our attention, that try to take away our focus, that try to shift our path from the direction that it should be moving, which is towards you. God, I pray that we would recognize the meal you've prepared for us as the perfect solution, the only solution that will give us satisfaction. God, I pray for those people who have been hurt by people, hurt by church, and that actually where there is a rejection of your goodness because of something someone did, that actually in this moment right now you would bring healing, that you would bring restoration, that would let them know that actually that is not you, that was not your will, that was just the mistake of a person 
that was just the, the stumbling of an imperfect person. Bring restoration, God. Bring healing. Place them back on the path that leads to righteousness. God, I pray for each and every one of us that we can find that satisfaction, that we can find that good life, that we can find that abundant life that you have promised for us in you, that we would press in, that we would lean in, that we would chase after your goodness. And so we thank you for the sacrifice of your son that allowed us to have relationship with you once again. We thank you that our sins have been forgiven because of the blood that was shed on that cross. And we once again invite you to take the lead, to take the chair, to take the, the main seat in our lives, that we would fix our eyes on you and continue to walk towards you in everything that we say, in everything that we think, in everything that we do. Let it all be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.